How you guys doing today? That was all right. That was nice. Uh, welcome to the Remnant. My name is Todd. I'm the pastor here. So today, uh, I'm really excited because, and I know you guys are going to be excited too, because I have pictures. I have pictures for you guys to look at, and they're pictures of animals. So the whole message today is just different puppies. I'm just kidding. Um, but I do have some pictures, and I want you guys to think about what these animals have in common. Deal? Boy, the bossy excitement right after woo. Yeah. Deal? Yeah. All right, cool. So we'll start with the first one. Ooh, what is that? What are those? <laughs> Someone goes, aw. Yeah. AJ? Anyway, um, what are those? Yeah, they're roosters. Nice. Very specific. I would have just said chickens. Those are roosters. Yeah. And they look like they're just about to probably play or something. Next. Ooh, what's, what are those? Ooh, watch the spits. Yes, it is a monkey. A chimpanzee, right? Yeah, very. that's a chimpanzee with its baby. That's pretty cute, isn't it? What's next? I don't remember. Ooh, look at that guy. What is that? People love hamsters. That was the one. Ooh, yeah, that's a hamster. So we have, one more time, go back to the beginning. You guys be thinking. We've got roosters, oh boy, chimps, and hamsters. Ernie, this is right up your, this is your cup of tea, specialty. What are, what do these three animals have in common? They're all animals. Yes, that is true. Yeah, you ready? They breathe, yes. Some, yep, until they die. Yeah, they breathe. So, <laughs> so listen, I'm going to tell you guys, I'm about to turn it. I know, they, they were cute. You know, all, all these animals cannibalize each other. Oh, every one of these animals cannibalizes each other. They eat each other. Why do they do it? They do it if um, they come into one that's weak. If one of, the, one of them's weak, right? Different reasons. I'm putting them all together. If they're weak, they eat them. They'll eat them for territory, right? You have two in a territory. That's the roosters. They see each other. By the way, hamsters do it for territory. Oh, cute, cute. They see somebody walking on their edge of the, their side of the block. They're eating each other, right? If, if they're threatened... If they feel threatened, not even, listen, not even by each other. When they feel threatened and they get stressed, they eat each other. Isn't that crazy? But rabbits also cannibalize each other. When they're stressed, they'll eat their young. When they're stressed, when they're scared, they'll do it for dominance. I got to prove that I'm the biggest rooster on the block. Right? So they do it for dominance. So if, if they're weak, if one of them's weak, it, they'll do it for territory, they'll do it if they're threatened, they'll do it for dominance, they'll do it if they're stressed, they'll do it if they just don't like each other. What does that sound like? Sound familiar? Humans do it all the time. You know, I was reading a thing, now, now certain animals, humans are a part of, do this, but humans are part of a very exclusive club, Okay. In, uh, if you were looking at it from a non-Christian perspective, just from animal kingdom, in that we kill adults. A lot, of ra- a lot of other animals won't do that. They'll kill weak young, by the way, but we kill adults. Now, other animals do. But let's not even say kill. We constantly tear each other apart. When we're, thre- when we're stressed, when we're threatened, when we're worried, when we're scared. If someone's in our territory, we got to show that we're, we're the king, we're the dominant one, the queen. We make heroes one day, and the, the next day those heroes become villains. Right? What's cancel culture? Raise your hand if you know what that is. Raise your hand if you don't know what it is. Great, I'm about to, to show you. Cancel culture is what you're seeing all the time in the media now. Someone gets famous, they mess up, and they get canceled. That's what they call it. That's what the internet calls it. Someone makes a, a maybe when they, their NFL players, when they were 14, made a comment that could be misconstrued as racist and sometimes it is when they're 14 and they get canceled cut them get rid of them they shouldn't have a job kill them i literally see the comments youtube personalities they can't they they have to pretend to be perfect because if there's one indiscretion you're canceled tv shows have gotten canceled because an actor made a mistake last year 10 years ago when they're weak that's a real thing We search for past indiscretions. Humans are so odd. We will literally go back. I think this is fascinating. We will go back. I just read this morning a comedian 
Okay, doesn't matter who it was. I just stumbled on this when, when this was already decided. I happened to stumble upon this story of a comedian. And I only know him because I've seen him on a couple of podcasts. I've heard him on a couple of podcasts I've listened to. And 12, 15 years ago, now people are, and he may have done this, but they said that he sexually harassed them. That a woman that he had an affair with for four years said that he harassed her. When she admits they had an affair for four years, but not during that four-year time did they ever, was it a harassment? Fifteen years. And now, guess what? He's about to get canceled. There's no checking. It doesn't matter if it comes back out that things aren't true, and it may be true, okay? Things, people do bad things. But sometimes it isn't true, is it? And it comes out, but it's too late. You've already canceled them. We cannibalize each other. Maybe not literally, but it might as well be. But that's just the world. That's the world. We are in church. We are Christians. And Christians don't do that. We Christians in the church, we do not have a culture of shame, a culture of gossip, a culture of condemnation. No, we don't have that. We don't tear each other down. We don't look for mistakes to bring up. We don't make each other hide all of our flaws and our sins because if they come out, what's going to happen? Canceled. Now, that we won't say that, will we? But you hear the whispers. You can't serve here. You can't do this. Why would anyone ever share an addiction or a struggle or a sin in the church today? Why would you? Because you're just going to cancel them. I was talking. Let me back up. Something's wrong in the church. Now, I know, Todd says this all the time, you do. I feel like that's part of the thing, man. I want something is wrong in the culture of the church, not the church, the culture. Because I believe the church is made up of saints. I believe that. Listen to me. But I don't think saints are always leading the church. Now, who we let lead, right? Leadership is interesting. It's not always the pastor. Sometimes it's the famous Christian. Sometimes it's the author of the books. Sometimes it's the ministry leader. Sometimes it's the, the popular rich lady in town. She gets to say what is Christian, what is not. Something's wrong. How do I know it's wrong? Because an idea, just that alone, where someone could not share a mistake, could not walk in and say anything to someone else. We're not talking about criminal things, guys, although they should even be willing to come and do that and feel safe that even though they may have to face consequences in this world, that they will still be loved and supported. Because more than condemnation and judgment, God seeks restoration and healing. That's a fact. And the very fact that we are afraid, and you are afraid, when's the last time you went and messed up and felt like you could reach out to someone in your church and tell them? That's not what happens. You hide it, and you bury it, and you make excuses for it, because what happens if they find out? You're canceled. You're shamed. You're condemned. They might let you stay sometimes, but you're always going to be less than, right? And then we wonder why honest non-Christians say, I don't like church, I don't like, why would you? Because they're smart enough to admit they're not perfect. So they're just going, I'm not good at pretending. I'm in trouble. If my relationship with God is dependent and hinges on my self-righteousness, I'm in trouble. Something's wrong. I'm serious. I, I, I am so serious right now. And some of you in this room, you're part of the culture. I'm sorry you are. In fact, all of us are part of the culture. We all allow it. And when we allow it, we might as well be contributing to it. We allow it when we don't speak up when someone is condemning someone else. We allow it when we let someone cast someone out when the Bible says not to, right? It's a very specific case. By the way, did you know it's very specific to ever kick someone out of the church? Not if they do something really bad. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Read Matthew 18. Go see how long before Jesus says to kick someone out of the church. Something's wrong. And that's why, and I'll get to this in a minute. Now, some of you out there that are all about holiness, which I am, I don't glorify sin. Sin leads to death. My life has shown it in various ways. Sin equals death, period. But here's the reality, folks, that you need to understand. I think sin is serious. But here's the problem. See, some of you, you're holding up the wrong mirror. 
you say as long as you're better than me, you're good. You are woefully mistaken. As long as you're better than the other person, than the divorced couple, than the adulterer, than the drunk, than the drug addict, than the thief, than the prostitute, you miss the point. And when we allow people to create a culture, guys, do you ever sit and think about what we've created? It's insanity. It's legitimately insanity. You, you pretend to have it all together. And as long as I pretend you have it all together, we smile and we go home and then we gossip about how we don't have everything together. It's insanity. Who would ever want to do that? If Jesus didn't exist, I'm going to tell you right now, I had this talk with someone this week. I, I can't say this to everyone. I'm about to say it to the whole world. Who cares, I guess. I had a moment where I actually was frustrated. I was like, you know what? If Jesus wasn't real, I wouldn't do this. I don't like it. I want to read to you a section from Scripture. We're going to go. I want to ask some questions. But first I want to talk about, it'll be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, and we'll be looking at verses 10 through 13. Now what happens here is Jesus, before this section, heals the paralytic. We all know the story. The people carry him in. And Jesus says something interesting. The first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. I love it. He pushes buttons. That's what he does. And the, the religious people, the self-righteous, by the way, you know what's funny? Isn't it funny? Anytime we Christians read the Bible, we always think we're the ones standing with Jesus. You always think you're the one standing with Jesus. Some of you are certainly standing with the Pharisees. And we all have at one time or another. But he heals him and he says, hey, you got This is, by the way, if you haven't read this, guys, you got to appreciate who Jesus is. Hey. Your sins are forgiven. They say, you're a blasphemer. You can't forgive sins. He goes, what's easier, to say someone's sins forgiven or to tell them to get up? But just to prove you who I am, get up. The guy stands up. That's, that's ooh, right? Walks off. Then he goes, and right after that, goes and sits with some tax collectors and sinners. That's what it says. I love that, too. Matthew makes sure to say, these were sinners. After this, they come up to him again. They follow him. Isn't that funny? The self-righteous still follow Jesus just to try to point out how he's not good just like they follow real Christians just to point out how they're not good. Anyway, he follows up and he says to him, he says, hey, why do you always spend time with tax collectors and sinners? Oh, here we are. I get excited. Go ahead and pull it up. While, this is verse 10. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, which <laughs> they didn't even ask him, another Christian culture thing, certainly don't go to the person. Certainly, even though the Bible is very clear on that. I love it again, because we, we don't do that. Why does your te- uh, when the Pharisees saw that, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collection sinners? Jesus, once again, hearing it, says, but when he heard this, he said, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Go and learn what this means. Ready? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, immediately, I have to pretend I'm talking to some of you Pharisees, like some Pharisees, because it helps me explain this better. So I'm not assuming any of you are. You might be. Here's the deal. I hope you're not by the end of this. Here's what happens. This is not glorifying sin. Let me explain to you why. Did Jesus know the hearts of all these people? Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. He was God. Do you think he actually believed that the Pharisees were righteous? Take a second, think about it. Because the Pharisees, he's like, listen, I didn't come to spend time with the righteous, but with sinners. No, we know that. How do I know? Because he later calls them brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, dirty cups, on and on and on. So then what's he really saying here? It has nothing to do with whether they appeared righteous. It appeared. It had everything to do with whether they could admit they were not righteous on their own. Do you understand? Because a lot of times the most broken people are humble enough to accept the Savior. But if you are self-righteous, you think you're good. You think you don't need Him. Sometimes you think you can be Him. Jesus, and I am certainly not glorifying sin here. This is, if you've ever, if you think, ah, boy. Slow down, Todd. It's not that Jesus is glorifying sin. We know that. 
He's saying, I've come not for the what? The self-righteous. I come for those people who recognize what they are. Because guys, I don't care who you are in this room. In the mirror of Jesus, when compared to the reflection of our Savior, up to God Almighty, we are all sinners. We have. Now, that's depressing if that's where the story ended, but it isn't. You see, Jesus can't be your Savior if you already think you're your Savior. He can't. And that's why this verse is so beautiful. He says, go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Does the church today, now certainly there are beautiful moments. So I'm talking about when you think of church. Now some of you have had a lot of, okay, overall, church. That includes TV and books and all the culture of it. Does it feel merciful? Does it? Does it feel like if you came and admitted a flaw or a mistake or anything like that, that you might have mercy? That someone could say that's terrible, but? No, it's always that's terrible and. Let me add to it. Does this sound like the experience most of us have, a culture of mercy and of grace? No, we are playing the great masquerade. I've said it before, you can go listen to that sermon and, and I, ever since I've, I've seen that I see this picture of us just in this disgusting grotesque masquerade ball where you all walk in right before you come in we walk in right before we come in the doors of the church and we put our little masks on and we come in and dance around and as long as I don't ask what's under yours and you don't ask under what's mine we're okay but if someone slips if we see what's under there we attack them and we cannibalize them Paul himself talks about this in Galatians. He gives a very stern warning. He says, be careful as you bite each other, lest you consume each other. He's not talking about literally biting, right? I want to tell you something. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. So, so what are we doing? What's happening here? Paul talks about it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But know this, difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemer, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Anybody know what that means? Irreconcilable. You can't make peace with them. Slanderers, gossipers. I like that they say slander because it goes even farther. Slander is gossiping to hurt someone without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good. Traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And listen to this, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. That's the key to me. That's the key verse to me that he's not just talking. See, a lot of times we say that's the world, which is true, right? The world meaning outside the church. But why would he say having the appearance of godliness? The world doesn't care about being godly. The world doesn't care about that. Who's God to the world? Me, right? That's what me, me, me. No, having the appearance of godliness means I'm going to look like I'm godly, but I'm going to deny its power. So let me give you an example of that. Oh, grace, truth, God forgives and restores. And as soon as you mess up, you're gone. You're worthless. Let's destroy him. Can never be used again. She is done. She is worthless. That's denying its power. A form of godliness, but denying its power. My friends, listen to me. Think about it. Think about your own life. I hope, there's probably a few in here that haven't experienced it, that don't know what I'm talking about, but I guarantee you, 100% of you would never and have never felt safe enough to tell that one thing. Oof, what is that thing? I don't even have to tell you because you already know. Whatever it is. Whatever your secret is that you don't like, you're ashamed of, you're afraid of, messed up, all those things. The place that we say, oh, it's a hospital for the sick. Right? No, it's not. We don't allow that. We don't allow you to come and do that. Some of them are good-meaning people. I think We are so afraid of wolves that we are killing sheep. That's wrong. In fact, Jesus talks about that too over and over. In fact, he gives warnings. Stop worrying about that. He says, you go out. I will gather 
I will go out and harvest the field and separate the wheat and the tare. He says, I'll separate the sheep and the goats. I'll separate it. You don't worry about that. We have a lot of pastors out there, a lot of so-called Christian leaders, a lot of um, ministry leaders, a lot of people in, in, in influential positions in our communities that ain't going to churches, and they are, they're on a mission to kill goats. But they're shooting a lot of sheep in the meantime. Because the whole point of God saying, I will be the one to determine that, is him saying, you aren't going to be able to tell. You aren't going to be able to tell. Only he can. Do you understand that? If you're irritated by what I'm saying, good. Because you probably need to hear it. But more than likely, a lot of you have been so hurt, you're not irritated. You're just like me, and you're green, but we don't do anything about it. Now, this is the thought I had. Somebody's steering the ship, the ship of church. Somebody's steering it. Someone is at, who are we letting steer the direction of church culture? Well, I'll tell you. They're usually going to be the people at the biggest churches. That's okay. That, that makes sense. We can see, like, big churches doesn't equal bad. There are some big churches that are, man, there's a reason they're, God is moving, right? Doing some incredible things. There's a lot of pastors that, as a person, I don't really like, but they are Christians and God's using them, and it's pretty amazing, Okay? That's, that's real talk, but we let them do it. Now, if I was a self-righteous person, where am I going to want to go? I'm only going to go somewhere where I can have some influence. If I attach myself to something with influence, then I have influence. Well, if I'm something in the community and I walk in and I got money and we all know it and I got the name or whatever else it is, then I get to determine I go to the, right to the front of the ship because that's the way the world works. Except Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. You know what his point of that is? Is that it's flip-flopped in the kingdom. There are a lot of poor people that you don't know their names that are going to have crowns in heaven. You'll never know them. And a lot of people you know right now that won't even be there. So let me ask you this. How did it become this way in the church? Why are we willing to accept condemnation and shame and guilt? Why are we willing to say there's no condemnation in Christ and yet... Literally, the next day, sit back and watch people condemn people. What is condemnation? That's not calling a sin a sin. Condemnation is calling a sin a sin without ever having the hope of restoration. The message is never, you've sinned, you've gone too far, he's done with you. The message is, you've sinned, you've messed up, repent and come home. Repent means quit doing it. Repentance is a hard thing. It's not even overcoming it. Why are we willing to accept that shame, guilt, destruction? Why are we willing to condemn as long as we don't have to be the ones being condemned? See, sometimes, you know, they drag the adulteress. We've heard the story, right? Jesus comes down and writes it. Sometimes, you know why we cast stones? Because we just don't want to take a chance that they cast a stone at us. So as long as we're in the crowd with the rest of them, it doesn't matter if they're right. We just want to be in the crowd because then nobody's casting stones at us. Why are we willing to cast stones as long as we don't have to be hit? Why do we gossip about our brothers and sisters instead of go to them? Now, I had a story. I hesitated to tell this because I didn't ask the person, but it's my story too. That just happened this week. Once again, weird timing. So, met a person, didn't talk to them. They met me. Now, there's a lot of terrible things about me in my life that are true. There's a lot that aren't, okay? I've accepted that. So, primarily when these types of things come up, I'm prepared, right? I know seven, eight years ago, I already know, you know, whatever. However, this time, this person didn't, this is a funny story, okay? This person had nothing to do with anything I've ever done, came up to warn someone that I love about me because they'd heard from someone else who hasn't talked to me that I was doing this thing that I've never done, and I'm still doing it. Yeah. I wish I could tell you more because it's so ridiculous. I can't, though. I feel like that's unfair, but... If I told you what they were, it, it, it's essentially I was parking my car at our church. I work here. And then walking like six miles and going somewhere bad. But I was, or I, or are you ready for this? I was parking my car at my apartment and then walked bad places. And their proof was my car parked in front of my apartment. I'm not kidding. Now keep in mind, I don't know the, the 
Gossip A, who's the originator, has never spoken to me. I don't like this person. I do know who they are because they always, they, they're obsessed with me. I'm going to be honest. They're constantly saying anything. So uh, person A told person B, who person B, again, never spoke to me. And so they had to do the Christian thing and warn person I love about what gossip A said to gossip B just to warn them about me. See what I did? as a rhyme. Yeah. My point is, is it's, it's ironic. I don't even really care other than how strange right? How strange. P.S. Gossip A has never approached anyone in this church. What's the point? What's the point? And it's happened to you guys too. I guarantee it has. Did you hear about Bob and Sheila? I heard they had an argument last night. They clearly don't love the Lord. I saw Rick at Pizza Hut. He had a beer. Clearly he does not know about godliness. He has the appearance of godliness, but denies his power. They twist scripture. And wine wasn't really wine, guys. It was grape juice. Yes, it was. It was wine in the Bible. Why do we gossip to our brothers and sisters instead of go? And you know, okay, going to that story, you know what's odd about that story? It's all the way along the line. Nobody had a problem with it until they came to the person I love, who part of the reason I love them is they follow Jesus and do the right thing and came to me immediately and then stood up and said, hey, you better get your, your exes in a, your ducks in a row. I didn't tell them what to say. And they took care of it, right? Because they're following Jesus. My point is, is that, that nowhere along the line is anybody questioning this. That's weird. Do you really think about it? And maybe, maybe I should go pick some of you out and then create a scenario and you'd understand how strange it is. So I'll use Tim because I know him and I can't. The rest of you I can't, okay? If it's, okay, I see Tim and I've never talked to Tim because he's scary. But... I go to James, and I tell James that he should warn Jessica that Tim is a drunk. Because I saw him drink a beer one time. And he might be one. And you know what drunks do? They rape. By the way, I just walk right by Tim. And he goes, how you doing, Todd? Good. Good to see you, brother. Have you ever thought about how weird that is? And, when, and before I put it in there, that's exactly what happened. I don't hide. I'm really loud. You can find me anytime. <sighs> why do we trash other pastors and churches? I'm not just talking about here. Why, why do we do that? Why are we looking? Why is it, you know, have you guys seen online now because of um, COVID, there's a lot, of, a lot more ads for churches online. They're, they're putting, they're paying, which makes sense. They're putting up their services. Every, I, I, I encourage you, go, go read the comments. Every time there's somebody going, ah, and they, you're a wolf in sheep's clothing, another church just preaching the prosperity gospel. All the guy said is like, hey, you need to be balanced in your life. It's, and there is no mention of hell, right? <laughs> Come to church, he'll probably tell you. Do you understand that? That's not what God wants. I'll separate the sheep and the goats. Do we have a responsibility if I thought this guy really you know, we're in a weird age, too, with social media. But if in this town I thought someone, I'm going to go this far. If I thought someone in this town was a false prophet and he's damaging people, he's twisting the gospel of God, I would go to him, even if I never met him. That's my responsibility. That's my responsibility. That's none of your business, Todd. It is. That's it, though. If I hear something about him doing something else, then I have to trust that the Holy Spirit's in his church and his church is going to do what they're supposed to do. It's not my job to be the avenging angel. Jesus talks about this multiple times. His disciples come up and go, hey man, somebody's talking about you, but they've never met you. And he's like, so? Good. Are they preaching Christ? It's good enough for me. Why do we want to destroy other churches? See, some of you in this room don't, don't go to church regularly. You're Christians, and I get it because I was you. I was you. Every time I do this, Andy's like, yep, yeah. I, was, I was them, right? Andy knows this. I hated, I did not like church. I, I know irony, God, and that's what he does. <clears throat> I didn't like it for the same reason that you don't tell yourself you don't like. You don't like it because it makes you, you don't want that. It hurts you. You don't want to go and be judged. You know they're going to see you're not perfect. If you stay away, at least you, they might let you be a part of the club, but as soon as they see all your warts, they're going to tell you you're not good enough, and you already struggle thinking you're not good enough. But the problem is, is when you do that, you're letting them steer the ship. 
because they stay. The self-righteous have no problem staying. What we need to happen is we sinners saved by grace need to come up in the front of the boat and do a little mutiny here and take control. And how do we do that? Because we come up and tell the lady driving or the captain and we say, hey, uh, this is over. Uh, what are you talking about? Uh, you're, you're a lunatic, right? You can stay on the ship, but you're not steering. Well, I have money. I don't care. Why do we delight more in a life? This is so true. Listen to this. Why do we, and I, remember, if we don't stop it, we're contributing. Why do we delight more in a life destroyed by sin than a life restored from sin? What's more of a miracle? Watching someone burn or watching God restore someone that should have burned? I think it's funny. You know what another weird, I'm already talking clearly. This sermon is just me sharing with you, but. You know another weird thing I've noticed about us Christians? So if I put up right now a story about a drug addict, and he tells you that for the last five years he's been on and off and God has saved him. If I tell you that, we're all going to clap and say that's incredible, unless he's from your church. Because you're going to be the one to go, well, he relapsed five times. Hmm, isn't that odd? We only celebrate testimonies that aren't from our church. Really, that's true. We don't pull people up and say, hey, look at this couple that was on the verge of divorce. Or look at this couple that did this radical thing. Maybe one committed adultery. Look at, let them tell their stories, not to shame them, but so you can learn and see what God did, how they got there, and how, you know, we can share. As if we don't do that, unless they don't go to your church, then we want to hear all about it. That's wrong. Why do we support leadership of popular Christian culture that, quote, shows a form of godliness but denies its power? that says Jesus saves and restores and heals and is there for the sinners. But really, that's not what we practice. We practice playing a weird, creepy game of make-believe. People always say, Todd, why do you always trash the church? I don't trash the church. I believe the church is supposed to be the hope and the light of the world to point to Jesus. I want the church to be what it's supposed to be, and I'm sick and tired of Pharisees steering the ship. That's the truth. Funny thing about Pharisees either, they won't say a thing to my face because they're cowards. That's why they're always talking to someone else, right? You just heard it in, the, in there. There are times that you deal with sinners and you tell them, again, there's, there's, a, there's a thing, but all is about the heart, right? Why do we think that it's not possible for someone to struggle with something? Have you ever done something or been, had a habit of doing something and you hate it? Well, you don't have to nod because nobody wants to know that you're not perfect. You have. I know you have because you're a human being. It could even be donuts, right? I eat 12 donuts a day. I don't like it. Whatever it is, there's some habit you have that you don't want to do it, right? And you're battling it. There is a severe, you know, I've been so scared for so long to say this because I guess I, I don't want them to call me a, uh, I don't know, man, you know, what they, people always say to any, that he doesn't care about sin and he's doing a prosperity gospel. Blah, 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 blah. But here, the reality is, there's a severe misunderstanding of the gospel. I mean that, a severe misunderstanding of the gospel. Why would we rather, why do you and I, even if it's just the 95 people in this room, why, do, why would we rather stand in a crowd preaching a twisted, twisted version of Jesus just so that we don't look alone? We'd rather be in the crowd than stand out. Why? Everybody says, you know, stand out. No, you don't want to stand out. Does this culture we've created honor God? Does it? Does it follow the example of Christ? Why do we teach and promote sin management rather than freedom from sin? See, sin management says, I have to control it. I have to be miserable. I have to tell you guys, you know, I have to hide and look sad and depressed and have secrets all the times rather than real freedom from sin. And let me tell you, well, Todd, how do you have that? You have it if we do what the Bible says. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another. You will be healed. Did you know that? Why did God say that? Because he knows our tendency to hold guilt and shame. I can't, if you confess your sin to me, I don't heal it. But in that, there's a releasing of all of that garbage so the Holy Spirit can do what it's supposed to do. It says confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. It says to carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. That leads to freedom from sin. 
Accountability groups where all I do is call you and tell you you stink every time you fail. All that's going to do is make you stop telling me when you fail. It's going to make you get better at hiding it. That's not what God wants for you. You see it in the life of Jesus. If we had nothing but the Gospels, I could show you that he lived it. He lived it with his apostles. They were knuckleheads. They did this. Peter, you've heard, dude, I think I get along with him until he, like, he punched me. But, and he probably would have. He was a hothead. That guy did the same thing over and over and over again. And it's easy for us to go, he was an idiot. And then you look at your own life and like, man, I do that too. And Jesus just patiently worked with him and stayed with him. What if, what if the first time, he, you know Jesus literally said to him, get behind me, Satan? Most of us would be like, get behind me, Satan, you're out of the church. No, because he knew that he wasn't done yet. Freedom from sin comes from confession, accountability, real accountability that's walking it out, praying, carrying one of those burdens. But we don't have to hide because the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to devour. What does that mean? A lion doesn't attack the entire herd. A lion attacks the one that's isolated. And what happens when we hide? We are isolated. Would we rather have a culture of fear rather than faith in the fact that we have a Holy Spirit that's working on us? What do I mean by that? A lot of pastors, a lot of people, a lot of, not, there's a lot of amazing pastors too, but a lot of Christian thought leaders and at least in practice in churches, what we tend to do is I have to make you afraid of, I have to make you afraid. Because if I scare you enough, maybe you'll stop sinning. I have to. Not just of God and hell, but of losing everything. I have to practice church discipline with you. And that always ends with you hurt and broken. And even though you're already hurt and broken, I'm going to hurt you some more so that you know that God loves you. You see how insane that is? That's not the way it works. What it is, is like, listen, we tell you, certainly we, you know, I have to trust the Holy Spirit's within me. And if the Holy Spirit's within you and you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? No matter what you or I do, he's going to finish the good work he started in you. It says that. Sometimes he finishes by drag, like you kicking and screaming, and he's dragging you, but he's going to finish it. Does that mean I don't, we don't confront each other when there's sin? No, of course we do. But not in a spirit of condemnation, not in a spirit of you're my enemy, but a spirit of my brother or sister has stumbled. I need to spend down, pick them up, and help them. Well, Todd, when do we walk away? We walk away when they refuse to stand up. Not because they can't, because they're so hurt, but when they say, no, I want to stay in this. And even then, as we walk away, we give them our card and say, I love you. I'm here when you're ready to come home. That's the church. <clears throat> in the same section of 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 10, I want to listen to you. There's a, there's a comparison. So he says, this is how it is. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love. My steadfastness, steadfastness and endurance, my willingness to, to stand firm. You, however, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from the all the Lord that rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. By who? The world, certainly, but also by the religious. How do we know that? While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So you'll be persecuted if you're following me, but the imposters will succeed. They'll be doing better. Continue, but as for you, continue what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it. And have from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you're a believer in this room and you don't read the Bible, you're not equipped, period. You are not equipped. Well, I've heard you tell me the verse, Todd, so what? What if I, sit, what if I turned one thing? Having the uh, appearance of godliness, but denying its power unless you're a pastor. I could add whatever. You're going to go, oh, that sounds good. you got to know what it says. So I'm going to give you a list. Who loves lists? I've, told, I've asked you, yeah, I've asked you questions about why, right? I'm asking you why. Why are we like this? I've given you some reasons that I believe it's happening. Now I want to talk about how to have a culture of truth and grace. A lot of times churches do one or the other. They want to be the church of truth. You are a sinner going to hell. That's it. You better straighten up or God's going to leave you. Or grace that says, 
hey, fly around, do whatever you want. God doesn't care. That's not true either. Jesus came in truth and grace. So how do we have a culture of truth and grace in the church? How do we have a culture of truth, and that's supposed to be capitalized, and, and grace? Number one, remember this, WWJD. Yeah, what would Jesus do? In any situation, guys, I'm serious. I am dead serious. If I can give you one piece of advice, well, this one and the second one. I want you to consider what would Jesus do. So remember my story about gossip A? Do you imagine that Jesus is going to go, look at Peter. Hey, Matthew, tell John that he should watch out for Peter because Peter is trouble. Oh, hey, Peter, love you. Does, is Jesus going to do that? Does Jesus, Jesus gossip? Does Jesus run away from hard conversations? Does Jesus refuse to stand up for the truth just because the crowd is against him? Did you know there's a story where they were about to throw him off a cliff? Literally, they backed him up to a cliff. After he healed some people, actually told them hard truth, they're like, we're tired of this. You know what he did? He just walked right through them because they're cowards. <laughs> and he knew who his father was. What would Jesus do in any situation? If you're wondering, ooh, is this, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus tell someone, you're condemned? There's no hope for you. He walks up, you know, he, the Pharisees are kind of his enemies. Do you know he walks up to Jerusalem looking down on all of Jerusalem? Who's in Jerusalem? Pharisees. I'm tricking you, right? They're in Jerusalem too. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And I'll paraphrase. I want to, how I have longed to save you. As a mother uh, hen would, would gather her, her chicks under her wings, but you have refused. Even then, he wanted to save them. The goal is always restoration, always hope, always healing, always would he say those things? Would he condemn? Would he spend the majority of his time looking for people to cast out? Would he, would he spend, did Jesus spend the majority of his time walking around pointing out all the people that wouldn't follow him? No, no, no. He spent his time calling the people that would. Number two, this is simple. Read the Bible. Guys, I don't like to read. You live in an amazing time then. Put a CD in, pull your phone up, and listen to it. You have to know the Bible. Now, I'm going to tell you a weird thing. I'm not good at memorizing. It doesn't matter. If you listen to it enough, read it enough, you're going to recall things. You ever notice, I'm, I try to be real with you guys as a pastor. I don't give you the verse number because I don't always remember, but I remember what it says. And then what do I tell you to do? Go look it up. Right? Because it does, it is in here because I read it. You have to read the Bible. That's going to help you know how to handle it when the people steering the ship try to lie to you and tell you why they're allowed to do these things. You have to read the Bible. I don't care, honestly, to start with, if there's only one book that keeps your attention, read it over and over and over again. If you can't read a gospel and get something out of it, you're not trying. I'm telling you right now. Because when you go and read who Jesus really is, not who you think he is, well, Todd, I read it when I was 10. You're 70. Go read it again. Because sometimes you twist it. He's, he's incredible. Number three, speak truth and love. What that means is speak up. When you see those things happening, speak up. Because if you don't, they'll continue to control. They'll continue to lead. Jesus didn't allow that. When he heard the Pharisees talking, when he heard the people that are condemning, when he had to tell them to learn this, desire mercy, not sacrifice, he spoke up. Guys, sometimes some of you go, well, I'm just going to go pray about it, and that's good because God can change hearts. But you need to move sometimes, and you need to speak up for the truth in love. I know sometimes if we really did it, we want to go pop that guy in the mouth, right? Or this lady, you don't think I want to go? I had the email drafted, right? I wanted to shred her after talking with some, that's another good point, go talk to people, right? I didn't, because what would it do? She's going to take it and run around and go, look it, look what he said. It proves it. That's, I don't know why that's her voice, like a witch. But anyway, I'm serious. And also at the end of the day, and I actually shared this, you, there's people in this room that know I said this this week, I would love to hate her, but God won't let me. I'm serious. I want to hate her. I'm not being self-righteous. I want to hate her. And I keep going, gosh darn it. Because she probably lives under the same weight she puts on others. I have to be perfect. I have to hide it. Speak truth and love. You got to speak up. Number four, ready? Stop allowing loud people. Stop allowing the church bullies to set the culture. Stop allowing them to. Because just like a lot of what's going on right now, there's a very silent majority out there in the church today 
And we all see the same problem, but we just stay quiet because they're really grumpy and mean. And we just don't want to deal with it. We've got to stop letting them steer the ship. If enough of us walk up to the front of the ship and say, hey, you're done steering, they're going to be done steering. We don't need to throw them overboard. That's what some of us want to do, right? No, we want them to because I think what's going to happen when they let go of the wheel and rest is they're going to go, wait, why aren't they kicking me out? Because most of the time, they, did you know they may not have met Jesus? They just heard of him. Stop allowing the church voice to set culture. You know why I'm not defining a lot of these terms? Because I believe the Holy Spirit in us, we know what we're all saying here. We know it. And we've experienced it at every level. That's even online. When you let people say things, I'm not saying to get out there and cuss people out online because I didn't leave anywhere, but you can drop a verse, can't you? Sometimes that's like a mic drop. This person's blah, blah, blah. There's no condemnation in Christ. Dunk. I don't know why Mike makes it, that sound, but he's going to come play some music, and I, we'll, try to, we'll try to end up. You know what? No, we're not. We're not going to today. Change my mind. Because I want, us to, I want us to sit in this for a second. The way that we are reflecting Christ is affecting our witness. Jesus said, you've heard me say it many times, he said, the world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Guys, truthfully, think of, maybe you're in this room and you're not church, you're not a Christian, you came because Jesus is calling you, he is. But you're here, but the reason you don't go is, let me ask you a question. Do you really view most Christians as loving each other? Do they actually love each other? Is that what you, I mean, they do, right? I, guys, that's what I'm trying to say is I think the majority of them do, but we let these people lead the culture and they don't. And so it, what happens is it reflects on all of us. How do we change that? We mutiny, right? We say we're done with it. No, don't go punch your pastor in the mouth. That's not what I'm saying. Don't go do anything crazy. Remember, speak truth and love. That's not loving. Speak up against your friends. Some of you have friends that are so condemning. No, I'm not saying just speak grace. I feel like I've got to say that. Sin is serious. There's all, you know, and I do believe sometimes there's well-meaning pastors that they're trying to toe that line between making you understand grace and making you understand the seriousness of sin. And if they have to choose between one, they'll choose scaring you with sin because at least that keeps you from all the bad things. I just have to trust you guys have the Holy Spirit. That's where I try to lean. Are you going to speak up like my, you know, I'm not going to toot her own horn here. I'm not going to say her name, but like my friend did because she did speak up. She didn't just talk to me. She went back to the person B and told them, Good truth and love. It ended in love, but she challenged her. She said, don't accept these things. That's the way it should be. She, her, her friend, person B, may do nothing with that, but she has done her part. If she says nothing, then what? It must be okay. Why do we allow this, guys? Why do we all dislike the culture we help create but unwilling to do the work of changing it? Why do we create our own version of Jesus and Christianity that's safe without any of the messiness of sin and brokenness, but also without the miracles of healing, freedom, and restoration? Are you willing to work to be different? Are you willing to be uncomfortable? Are you willing to stand? Are you willing to desire mercy and not sacrifice? How much does someone have to do before you believe they love Jesus and believe they're a sheep, not a goat? What would the church look like if we focused on that truth Certainly. But truth without grace is just the law all over again. And the Bible tells us that the law, we're trapped and we're dead in our trespasses. The law meaning just do all the right things, it, it, it's not enough. We need God's grace in that too. If you're in this room today, listen to me. And you don't know Jesus. And you know who you are when I'm saying it. You might know of him, but you don't know him. You can't say 100% if you were to die today that you would be with him then I want to tell you something. A lot of it's probably coming from wounds because you're here today, which means he intrigues you. But probably what's happened, I'm, I'm being honest, is that a lot of Christians got in the way. A lot of hurt happened. A lot of condemnation. And you're, you're tired. You're not a part of a body. Some of, you, some of you are Christians, but you're like I was, and you, you've been outside the body. Well, not only are you hurting yourself, but you're also robbing a church of your gifts. You might be the hand they need. Regardless, but if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you something. He loves you right where you're at. You don't have to be perfect to know him. You don't have to get your act cleaned up first. He will save you right now. You do have to do something. You have to stop trying to save yourself, and you have to admit that you're a sinner. What does that mean, Todd? It means admitting that you've done wrong. 
Admitting that you can't fix it. Admitting that you're a sinner. Remember what I said at the beginning? I've come for the sinners, not the righteous. If you're willing to admit today, Jesus, I believe you. I believe that you came down. God, I believe you are God. I believe you showed us how to live. I believe you died on the cross so that I didn't have to take the punishment for my sins. I believe you were raised on the third day. I don't understand it all, but I believe you. I believe you offer me forgiveness. God, help me. Jesus, help me. If you do that, you can be saved today. The Bible says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. I haven't done this in a while. Everybody put their heads down, please. I'm going to do it a little differently. I can see you, so don't be tricky. (laughs) All right? If you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus and you want to, without any embarrassment or anything else, if you or just want, you're intrigued to raise your hand. I see you, I see you, I see you. Raise your hand. If you're in this room right now and you're hearing that voice and that feeling that's saying, do it, I, do it, but you're afraid, raise your hand right now because you don't have to be afraid. Put your hands down. Your heads can go up. Let's be different. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank, you, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you, Father, that you came in truth and grace, that you loved us enough to tell us the truth of our situation and offered us grace to get out of it. God, I pray that you would help your church to be everything it's supposed to be. I believe that your bride, the church, is beautiful and good and pure and all those things because of you, God. And I believe sometimes we can walk away and we can get led astray and, and we can get lazy. And Father, forgive us for that. I know you do. And Lord, help us to be the city on the hill, a light to this world and help us that are uh, on the ship and unhappy with the direction it's going be willing to go up and confront those that are leading it the wrong way. God, we trust in love. And Father, I thank you for all the beautiful other, uh, you know, groups of believers in this community and this world that are just radically loving people and serving the community and preaching the good news of the gospel. God, thank you for them because I know they reach groups that we can't, Lord, and I believe we can reach people that they can't and we all work together as one body pointing to you, Father, your body. And I thank you, Jesus. I pray for everyone in this room that they would walk out and know they're loved. And um, Lord, protect them and bring them back next week. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.